Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. He calls to you, who the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Trumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, and our Ola. I am Spud, Spud Goodman. Spud <laughs> man. <laughs> let, let me say I'm very grateful you, the listener, has chosen to spend a few moments with us on this radio show. Because I understand there's a strong chance you're already listening, you know, to this station and my show just came on. I I mean, it's not like, you know, most of you set up an alert or something to make sure you were tuned into our little program. I get it. You know, we're right now we're not must-listen-to radio, okay? But we are still worthy of at least 45% of your attention. You know, even while we're probably on in the background in your apartment or in the car or, or you might even be listening on the treadmill at the gym. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a slight possibility you will even enjoy the next 57 or so minutes left. So what the heck? Don't change the station, you know, and go check your Instagram account one more time, stuff like that. Just hang with us. I mean, what do you have to lose except those, like, 57 minutes or maybe even 56 right now? What the hell do you have to lose? So, okay, then, let me introduce our show's designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Give everyone a top-shelf chuckle, if you would. Okay, here goes. <laughs> hmm. Oh, there you have it. Not my best, but still pretty darn good. Well, no, it, it wasn't your best, but it'll suffice. Suffice? Um, that is a bit insulting. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right. It sufficed quite well, okay? All right. I guess. Yeah. Well, now I'm supposed to introduce our show's temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. It would really help the show if you could hold your comments until after we're, like, done and off the air. I, I can give you, say, three minutes then for you to fully express yourself. You know, tell me what you would have said if you were allowed to speak on the air. It just sounds like a win-win to me. Yes! <laughs> what? Why would I wait until after the show to express myself? I have the opportunity right now, live on the air, and I intend to utilize it. So, hello everyone, I am Gerald Holcomb, and And, I and am- you would like to be a team player by zipping it right now as I have to inter- introduce our show's intern, Chance. Ugh. Okay, I'm going to... I'll throw out the same suggestion to you, Chance. How about this? You know, would you consider waiting until after the show before piping in? I, I know you think you're an indispensable voice on the show after being told you're the most popular person on the program with that stupid listener survey, but, you know, what if you're not? Think about that. What if the whole thing was rigged? Russia, if you're listening. You know, maybe it would be best for you to do the right thing right now and just remain mute. The whole rest of the program. 
I know that would make you happy, Spud, as I do threaten you. Being so old and insecure, but me. this show really needs a fresh voice. A millennial who can counter the stale act from just one more obsolete baby boomer on the air. This show needs someone with real gravitas. And that would be me. So, no, I won't be silenced. That's so hot. Oh, you go, Chance. My, how you have developed such confidence and wisdom. You have grown up right before my eyes while we've been dating. I can see how Spud would be threatened by you. <laughs> Listen, I am not threatened by a just-turned 22-year-old kid, Aunt Dorothy. And I know after he dumps you, you know, maybe, you know, the second or third year into your marriage, you will better understand what I'm saying about him. Because it's clear to me right now, lust is blinding you, okay? Ha, ha, ha. Uh, excuse me, but can we return to my situation? I am being minimized to such a degree that I'm now, what, I'm playing second fiddle to a community college intern? How, how did this happen? I'm just more popular than you, Gerald. Well. It's not complicated. The listeners don't care for you. He's got a point, dude. At least I came in third behind him and him and my you know aunt. You were dead last in that stupid survey. Yeah, okay, well, like you know what? Like the greatest president in American history said about this type of thing, don't believe anything that comes from the liberal communist media. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Um, well, that, that, that survey came from some big-time corporate research firm, okay? Um, doubt, doubt there are many communists that work there. Oh, they're there. So, but anyway, can we get to what I wanted to discuss on this episode? Jeez. Anyway, I watched this program on one of the cable news channels last weekend. Uh, I forgot which one, but for sure it wasn't Fox News. But it was about the time period we are now living in. They called it the post-truth era. And I, I know we have discussed in past, you know, past shows, you know, that how lying is not really a thing anymore, like in politics, on social media, and even at family gatherings. People just throw out anything these days. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I mean, this program said it's because no one cares that much about the truth anymore. So there's no downside to, you know, being wrong or dishonest. People are too exhausted from their daily lives to to give what is, you know, uh, obvious BS, you know, much thought and evaluation. Well, I know I have seen some of my friends just throw up their hands when I bring up facts to counter some tall tale they read on Facebook. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. It feels like they tune me out. Dorothy, I never tune you out when you provide me with information on what's going on in the world. You are so smart. Oh, babe, thank you. That's really sweet. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, th this program has made me wonder wh where we're going to be in, say, 10 to 15 years, you know, down the road in this country, or in really around the world. You know, maybe Kyrie Irving uh, will run for president down the road on the Flat Earth Party. I mean, who knows? He might win. I was unaware of the Flat 
Earth Party, but you know, it's about time that alternative theories about the shape of the Earth was brought out into the open and discussed. <laughs> I have mentioned this issue, and I've been ridiculed yes, on this show. Yes, you have, rightfully well, yeah. so. And you know what? There are many optical illusions out there that cause us to misrepresent reality. You know, science, it's a very mysterious thing, Spud. What's with you, Johan? Uh, not that mysterious. I know a guy at my community college who believes the Earth is flat, too. No one really listens to him because he kind of smells bad. <laughs> I guess he doesn't trust the water system, so he doesn't take showers. He has to sit in the back of classes so people don't complain to the professor about him stinking it up. Uh, you know, I was not aware of issues with our water system. I'll ask around about that at church this weekend. Well, what is the question? Uh, dude, don't, don't create a problem where there is not one. Uh, and, and you personally cannot get by with just sponge baths, okay? You need long, hot showers with, well, uh, with, with plenty of soap daily, maybe like twice a day if, if I have to work with you here in this tiny little radio studio. And also, could you lay off the Old Spice aftershave just for a while? Uh, but lately, it's, been getting, it's just been way too heavy. Spud, your first guest, Drea DeMatteo, is waiting to speak with you. Yeah, I know you said in our staff meeting you're a big fan of hers. Has she been in anything that I might have seen? Only the very best American TV show of all time, The Sopranos. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Drea won uh, an Emmy for her role as Best Supporting Actress on the show. Uh, sh she brings something special to the screen that I really dig. Uh, I like a don't mess with me as I don't have the time to waste vibe. It's something I find quite enthralling. Yeah. <clears throat> Haven't we had other actors from that uh, Soprano show on our show in the past? Uh, yes, we have. You, you really should splurge and get HBO. I mean, you can binge all six seasons on demand, you know, better late than never. Uh, she has a new movie out now, though, that she wants to discuss. Oh, okay, you know, would, would that Soprano show be appropriate for Holcomb family night viewing? Hidely ho, neighborinos! Absolutely. Now zip it and just put her through. Please greet actress Drea DeMatteo. Uh, thanks for coming on our show. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah. So, yeah, you have a new movie out on the Lifetime channel titled The Safe Room. So, uh, can you give our listeners the basics of the storyline? I know you play a badass in the movie. I play a badass. Well, I don't even know if you would call her a badass. She's a, just a bad person, period. Okay. Um, the total opposite of what I would normally play. Um, I usually play more of a victim, even though my characters are kind of brassy. She's usually, um, usually being victimized by somebody or something. Um, here I am the villain victimizing a mother and a son. And the story really is about how this mother and son sort of overcome this terrible person who is me my name is Rocco mm -hmm. so you can imagine that I'm like an Italian thug yeah um, and how he's a boy becomes a man through this ordeal where I'm doing everything in my power to capture them and he's the boy is doing every she's the mom is protecting him and I, who's Nicole Ari Parker and the boy Nick Sanchez who is playing an autistic boy who actually 
is on the spectrum. Now let's step into the Wayback Machine. You, you grew up in New York and were very familiar, you know, with the entertainment industry as your mother was a playwright. After high school, you entered NYU to be a director, but made the move to be in front of the camera. So my question is, would you still be interested in directing a film someday? Yes. Um, you know, I always said that once my face has completely given out, that I would... Uh, <laughs> that I would move over to directing. Um, but uh, there's a project that I've been working on that's a TV show. I don't know that I would necessarily take a crack at a TV show because that's, that's a giant undertaking. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a story about my family's, my family's history and stuff, which is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. um, in the Italian um, Upper East Side Harlem in the, in the 50s. Um... But as far as directing a film, yeah, my boyfriend and I have been talking about it. We have a, he has a 16 millimeter, and in the quarantine, we started filming all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. so I've done some music videos and stuff like that, but um, I haven't taken a, a hit at a movie yet. All right, all right. Uh, Spud? What? It, well, it's funny you brought up directing with Drea, as last week, my youngest, Dwight, asked me to direct his video that he's putting together with, you know, the other kids in the neighborhood. He wrote the script and he stars in it. Now, I've got to say, it's pretty advanced for a 12-year-old. He might be one of those uh, prodigies I've read about. Uh, Drea, I I'll be right back. You'd think if he wrote the script for his project, yeah. he would want to direct it too. Uh, I mean, why would he ask you to do that? He, well, I mean, he didn't actually ask me, but I did volunteer to do it, to, to, to direct it, so he could fo focus more on his character and, and the script. At first, he wasn't too crazy about giving up artistic control of the video, but I told him he would have the final cut, so uh, he agreed to it. And I really think I'll get a producer's credit, too, as I'm handling the financial costs, you know? Uh, pizza, soda, candy, uh, for the whole casting crew. Uh, can you just let me get back to Drea, if you don't mind? Yeah, oh, no, I, I don't mind. Go ahead. Thank you. Okay, I'm back. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta cover this area. You, you, your career blew up after you know being cast on The Sopranos, winning an Emmy Award for Best Supporting Actress in 2004. As that remains probably the best freaking American television series ever. Well, was it tough then to work on other projects after that? At least at first. Yes, I mean to be honest with you, I sort of felt like. I felt like it was okay for me to to just take a break and to not act for a while because nothing was ever going to compare to yeah. the caliber of that show and to the feelings that it evoked with all of us and how we all felt about it. And also when you, you know, when you when you play a character like that for that many years, you know you're going to be stereotyped for a while. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming into people's living rooms like that, like they know you as that person and that person only. They don't want to see you as anything else. So, it was definitely difficult, but I, you know, I did managed to work throughout um, even though I didn't even want to really um, I continued to work but I, I really just wanted to like flip on my ex's tour bus at that time and just not act <laughs> right right well, you know, we've had yeah. we've had uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa on our show, and they have a podcast talking Sopranos. Don't you have a podcast too, titled "Made Women"? And where can people find it? And what's what's the central focus of it? Yeah, we start. We did that before those guys. Um, 
Oh. It was in the lockdown. We started our podcast, and then we switched over to Gangster Goddess Broadcast um, for season two of The Sopranos. It was a Sopranos rewatch as well. Um, but it wasn't my thing, man. I just couldn't. I, I couldn't get with the whole podcast thing. So I, I um, jumped ship pretty quick. I, I only got through season two of The Sopranos. It's a really in-depth um, podcast. It's not like the other podcasts on the show. It goes really deep into analyzing the show in ways that I guess other, other, other hosts have not really done. So it was a lot of work. And I was done. Like, I just was like, I'm tapped out. This is, if I have to continue doing this until season seven or six, I, I, I'll lose my mind. Because our episodes are really long. Is it? Um, but they're great. Is it and still? they were considered, um, you know, amazing by Soprano, like, super fans. You know right. what I mean? Right. Well, is it still available? Where can people find it? Oh, yeah. It's still available. There's one called Made Women, which is for season one of The Sopranos. And then there's one called Gangster Goddess Broadcast which is, and I'm sure they're up on all different platforms still. Okay. Some of them are on YouTube. Some of them are, might, I think most of them were filmed. So you can probably find them all on YouTube at this point. But um, Apple, Spotify, all those places I'm sure have them. All right, super. Well, you know, in your acting career, yeah. you, you've had to experience a few not-so-nice nice deaths, uh, killed on The Sopranos by Silvio and on Sons of Anarchy, killed by Gemma, <laughs> to name a couple. What's the key to an effective death scene? The key to an effective death scene. Oh wow! Um, I don't know. I, I you know I never saw this. I never saw the episode where Gemma. I still haven't seen that episode. Oh, it's good. Um, I don't know what's the key to an effective. You know what? I'll tell you what the key is. Making sure that the audience has no idea it's about to happen. Uh -huh. um, that was really important to me on The Sopranos. Um, originally, there was a scene written in where, Tony, where, where Christopher confesses to Tony Soprano that I've been talking to the feds. So when Tony calls me, you know that that's my death. Right. And I begged David Chase and Terry Winter to take that scene out because I was like, we need to let the tension build throughout this episode. Otherwise, the death is gratuitous. Like, you know, after that phone call, mm -hmm. when Tony calls that it's over but when he calls and says you know there was an accident with christopher um silvio's gonna pick you up you're on the edge of your seat that whole time i think that's the, the i think that the suspense especially for a death that was set up for so many months um i think that the suspense is important you don't want to just throw it away right right well you know, if it was me, I don't think I could pull it off as I'd be too pissed that I was off the show and there'd be no more craft services. But that's just me. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, all right, well, I know you got to go. Sopranos, because you know the food was good on the Sopranos. Oh, heck yeah, I bet. Damn. All right, well, I know you got to yeah. go. So let me say again that you have a new movie out on the Lifetime channel titled The Safe Room. Thank you so very much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me, man. All right, Ms. Drea DeMatteo. This is the Spud Goodman Show. Did I ever tell you about that? Spud, your next guest, Alana Hyam, is waiting to speak with you. Now, I read about that big new movie she's starring in. It's a licorice 
something, right? A licorice pizza. pizza. Yeah, I mean, directed by one of the all-time great directors still alive, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, You know, it sounds like I'm going to have to check out this Paul Anderson. It sounds like he's a good director. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I guess PTA to his friends. And yeah, I mean, you could say that. I'm going to speak with Alana about the movie and her career with their sisters in the band Hyam. They have like three albums out so far, and they've gotten great reviews. Uh... Just put it through, please. Yeah, if the music isn't too loud with you know screechy guitars and a lot of bass, maybe I'll check out one of them uh, at the library. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And here she is. Please welcome musician and actress Alana Hyam. Thanks a bunch for coming on our show. Thank you so much. Even you saying musician and actress, I think that, I, that's like the first time I've heard that, and it's it, it, it's you know shocking to me. I'm very I'm very flattered. Well, it's true <laughs> to, be, uh, to be considered an actress. <laughs> that's right. Well, you star in the new Paul Thomas Anderson film Licorice Pizza, um, and your band Heim uh, received a Grammy nomination for Album of the Year. Uh, you know, so uh, know. 2021 was a pretty good uh, year for for your career wise, huh? It was pretty crazy. That's all I can say. It was very, very crazy. It's been a crazy year. All right. Well, th- this is your first movie officially, you know, and uh, and you work with Paul Thomas Anderson. I know. I know you had worked with him on videos previously, but um, everyone knows he's an exceptionally talented writer director. So it, it kind of looks like it worked out well for for you. As I might add, you received a freaking Golden Globe nomination for your work. So give our listeners the basics of the story, if you would, just for, just a bit of it. Um, you know, it, it's a story about two pe- two people in the San Fernando Valley, which is where I grew up, uh, in the 70s, just trying to figure out this crazy thing called life. I mean, it's a crazy story that takes many twists and turns. You never really know where it's, you know, where it's going to end up. Um, and it may- And the best part about it is I feel like there's some pretty amazing laughs. You, you laugh a lot when you watch it. So that's, and my dad is hilarious. My yeah. dad plays my dad. I mean, it's a very, now no one understands what it's about, but my dad is the best part of this movie, I think. All right, super. Um, well, well, your co-star Cooper Hoffman is the son of the late great actor Philip Seymour Hoffman, and this is his first film too. Anything at all during the filming that surprised either of you? Something that maybe you didn't expect, like let's say the craft services table was beyond belief, you know, something. I mean, everything was a surprise. I had never done this before, and also Cooper had never done it had, had never done it before, and and I had never really been on a movie set before this. I mean, I don't think I actually ever had. I mean, the closest thing I had to being on a movie set was maybe doing the Universal Backlot tour. That was pretty much the closest thing I had ever been on a movie set. Um, but everything was so exciting. I mean, it really did feel like I had, you know, newborn eyes. Like, every, I was just so excited to be a part of this project. And even, I mean, I'm, it's very dorky, but, like, even seeing a film camera being loaded was, like, the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my whole life. I remember staring at, you know, this film camera being loaded every time it would get loaded. I was just so in awe of, of just the process of making a movie. So, really, I mean... 
I can't give you a specific answer, but just everything was exciting and, and new. And maybe ask me that question if I do a movie again. <laughs> right. Then maybe I'll feel like, you know, I've done this before. But no, I had never done anything like that before. Well, you know, that well then that kind of dovetails into I was going to ask you, you know, that you, you grew up in the in the San Fernando Valley uh, in the shadow of Hollywood. And uh, I was going to hit you up with, you know, having that up close look at the entertainment industry as a kid because it was around you. Uh, did, did, did seeing what was going on behind the curtain when you were doing the film, did that diminish at all the experience of, the, of success but I, uh, that you're experiencing right now? But I guess you just answered that. So, yeah, I, I, I wanted to hit you with that, but you already answered it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, Spud? Yes? Well, if I may interject, I know both of my sons, Gerald Jr. and Dwight, have indicated an interest in someday getting into the radio business. Uh, this is even after they had a peek behind the curtain through my career on this show. Uh, our daughter, Kelsey, not so much. She wants to be a U.S. Senator. Uh, she leans Democratic in her uh, views right good. now. Well, no, that's upsetting to us, but you know what? She's only a junior in high school, and I think I can flip her to the Republican Party by the time she graduates and, and goes on to, I hope, crossing my fingers, BYU. Uh, Alana, I just need a brief moment here. Now, why would either of your sons ever be interested in following in your footsteps as a temporary freaking co-host? Okay, uh, and they've, they've had a serious look at you behind that curtain for many years. They've been here watching you work on this radio show before. Remember our take your kid to work thing? Remember that? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and by law, you have to tell your daughter, by the way, there are other colleges out there uh, besides BYU, you know? Yeah, well... But first, I'm, I'm your temporary permanent co-host, and my wife and I feel it would be the best school for her, so that's the way it will be. You are dreaming if you think you can force your kid to go to your alma mater. Prepare yourself to be you know, like moving her stuff to maybe Berkeley or Boulder, Colorado oh, in no, a couple no. years. Trust me on this. Now let me get back to Alana. All right, uh, I have returned. Well, um... You you uh, chose to enter the music business at a rather young age. Let, let's let's deal with the music thing. Uh, how, how old were you when you joined up with your sisters Esty and Danielle to form Heim? You know, to form Heim, I was sixteen when we started. You know, playing shows in Los Angeles as Heim, but I was in a cover band with my whole family, with both my parents. Um, that started when I was like four or five. And it was really just our family's version, I guess, of, like, camping. Like, we weren't, like, a camping family. We were, like, a music-playing family. That was, like, our family hobby. After dinner, we would, you know, go into my living room and, and play music together. And, and we would play charity events. And, you know, our first gig was at Canner's Deli in, in Fairfax, oh, cool. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and really, it was just that's where I started, you know, playing music with, with my parents. And it was all very, you know, fun. And, and, and also, I have to, you know, tell people, like, we were terrible. Like, we were not a good band as Rockenheim. I mean, I was, like, four or five. I could barely pick up drumsticks at that point. So, no, we were not, like, the most incredible band. But by the time I was 16 and, I, and me and my siblings decided to, you know, kick my parents out of the band uh, and just start high we played every venue in los angeles i mean i want to say a million times which was the best time of my life i mean me and my siblings just wanted to play music well, uh, and yeah and then and then we you know put out our first album in 2012 
You guys have played a ton of music festivals over the years. Did you have a favorite one? Because I understand the volume comes up quite a bit when the band plays live. Oh, yeah. No, we, we're, a, we're a rock band. We are a full rock band. Um, I feel like my favorite festival, which I feel like it's everyone's favorite festival if you're in a band, is Glastonbury, which is in uh, England. Yeah. And, um, it's the most incredible festival because it's just so massive. And you could go there. I mean, I've been now, I think, four times or three, three or four times. And I've maybe seen 2% of the festival because it's so big. And every year there's, you know, crazier memories. And, and me and my siblings love playing because it's just people are so up to hear rock music and, and yes. have a good time. So, yeah, yes. that's definitely my favorite. Well, you know, just about everyone has seen Get Back, you know, the Beatles documentary by now. And I was curious about the process your band goes with while trying to put an album together. Do, do you book a studio for like a couple weeks and just knock out like 12 or so tunes like a machine also? Oh my god, you know, watching Get Back, it made me feel like we should do that, because we've actually never done that before. We've never made a record, like, start to finish in a studio, like, writing in a studio, recording it as we're writing it. We've never done that before. Usually it's just me, Essie, and Danielle in a room, like, in Danielle's living room, just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and writing songs, and, and usually we amass, like, so many songs. I mean, we start the process with, in, like, um, it feels like a million songs. It's not a million songs, but then we, you know, kind of whittle it down to our favorites. And, and then once we've got, like, a good skeleton uh, of a couple songs, we usually bring PTA into the studio to listen. And he's the only person that's allowed in the studio. Oh, wow. So he, he gives you input on the music side. That's, that's interesting. I did not know that. If, I mean, he's just, he's always, he's one of our closest friends and, and we trust his music taste. I mean, it's no secret that he has incredible music taste. And we just also love having Paul in the studio because he's just such a good vibe. And, and he, he's very inspiring. I mean, he inspires a lot of things when we're in the studio. So it's yep. nice to have have him as a friend <laughs> absolutely i know his soundtracks are killer but all right well let me end with this uh i, I gotta ask when you're like burned out from all the showbiz uh, stuff going on uh what do you do to like recharge your batteries like skydiving stamp collecting any anything anything at all oh my god what a what a what a gamut sky skydiving or you know, <laughs> stamp collecting yeah just throw out a couple um, you know, what do I do to wind down? I mean, I, I haven't been burnt out yet. I know that, you know, after a tour, I basically just, I mean, this is not how I wind down, but honestly, the only thing that gets me to stop working is if I get sick. <laughs> oh. So if I get sick, that's when everything stops, and that usually happens after a tour. And I'll usually just lie in bed and watch Albert Brooks movies. That's, oh. that's my favorite way to die down. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. I like that. All right. Well, I know you got oh, yeah, to... Defending your life. Defending your life oh, yeah. is the best movie oh, of yeah. all time. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, let me remind our listeners that, that your new film, Licorice Pizza, is um, about to be huge. And everyone needs to check it out. And also be looking for when your band launches another tour. So, yeah, we really, really appreciate you checking in with us. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, there you have it, Ms. Alana Heim. The excitement continues on the Spud Goodman Radio Show following this brief intermission.
We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. Getting back to what we were discussing, you know, the fact that we're now living in a post-truth era. Well, you know, I blame Trump. And it only makes common sense. Yeah, yeah. Of course you do, Spud. You suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. Well, maybe so, but think back to... Like 2015, when when he was campaigning, and sort of made you know lying seem kind of cool, like like that one he told about Ted Cruz's dad killing Kennedy, or or that he never knew about those hush money payments, you know, to former porn star Stormy Daniels, or and of course, you know, that one time he said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue in New York City and not lose one supporter. Well, wait, um. Yeah, I guess he was right about that one. Yeah, he wasn't lying. Hey, Spud, Donald Trump not did funny. not invent the act of lying. And I personally do not recall any instance where our former and soon-to-be current president, again, ever, was not truthful with us. He is a man of the highest integrity. That's ridiculous. Well, I get what you're saying, Spud, about Trump making lying something That's not a bad thing these days, but there are so many factors that have gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, I mean, I know that program about this said he was like not the only reason that that telling the truth these days is now considered lame, but one of the major reasons. Dorothy, I want to proclaim here on the air that I would never lie to you. It will never happen. Well, I am well aware you are incapable of being dishonest, Chance. You are a pillar of integrity. Seriously? Seriously. Well, if what you're saying is true, that people these days seem to be lying much more, well, then they're going to have to face the music come Judgment Day. Lying is a sin, you know. Uh, I guess it's on the list, but that doesn't seem to be you know, much of a deterrent right now, in my opinion. You know, that TV program I mentioned earlier that said we're you know, you know, living in a post-truth era made it clear that it's going to be very difficult to, to, to motivate people to change their behavior. Once something is considered cool, it can take a long time before the coolness wears off of something. You know? Like, you know, Yahoo or Ben Affleck. Uh, you know, lying as a fad might have a lot longer shelf life than it should. And it, it could really mess up the world. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Well, I do worry about facts and the truth becoming almost passe. Like so yesterday. And that is why I would never lie to you, Dorothy. I know it's important that I always be truthful with you. I will admit, I've lied on a few occasions in my life, and most of the time my parents called me on it and I got put on restriction. I've never liked being on restriction, so you don't have to worry about me not being honest with you. Oh, I never worry about you being truthful, sweetie. Not a concern for me. But if you do slip up, I bet my aunt will like come up with a really, really tough restriction for you, like no video games for a month, or, you know, she, she might take your phone away, you know, if it's a huge whopper. So just keep that in mind. Yes! 
I would never put Chance on restriction. Why do you say those types of things, Spud? I, I don't know. I was just throwing it out there. Uh, you know, something I was thinking about. Most people obviously are aware, I guess, they should be, that celebrities lie all the time in commercials. I mean, that's something. I mean, s- some have told some real big ones. It's, it's just, you know, these days nobody cares anymore, I guess. Well, I feel certain celebrities have earned the privilege to maybe stretch the truth a tiny bit. Uh, Like Tom Selleck, for one. Some may say he pushes the envelope a little bit in those reverse mortgage commercials. I know you, Spud, have been very critical of him doing those ads. But Tom, well, he's a great American who has given us so much quality entertainment over the years. Really? And you know what? If a few senior citizens do lose their homes due to unfortunate financial decisions on their part, well, that's something that I know I can live with. (laughs) This this job affords Tom a safety net money-wise. You never know when blue bloods will get canceled by some young, know-nothing CBS network head. Well... Yeah, yeah, but you know, I like Jennifer Aniston. You know, these days she's on that uh, Apple TV series, The Morning Show, and she's she's pretty good on it. But it's obvious she's stretching the truth, i.e., lying. You know, when she says she uses that Aveeno skin moisturizer because it's sold at like all CVS's, Walgreens, and WalMarts, and you you know she uses Goop in real life or some exotic concoction only sold on the dark web. You know, yeah, yeah, and I also have to mention Ashton Kutcher's, you know, Cheeto Cheetos commercial in the last Super Bowl. I don't see him as a Cheetos guy. He's clearly a pita chip and hummus type. I mean, yeah, it wasn't a horrible lie that he, you know, said about digging Cheetos, but still, it was not the truth, and no one cared. What do we have to do to get you to give our people the truth? I see Ashton Kutcher as a Cool Ranch Doritos guy. Or maybe Funyuns. Those are pretty tasty. Oh, I wasn't aware you like Funyuns, babe. Um, You've never mentioned it before. I'll stop at the store on the way home and pick up a few bags for you. Thank you, Dorothy. Can you guys go over your shopping list later sometime on your own? But, 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 you know, if you do stop... Could you pick me up a couple boxes of strawberry Pop-Tarts because I ran out yesterday? Okay. If I see them, I will. All right. Cool. Very cool. All right. Spud, your last guest, John Huertas, is holding on the line for you. You know, I remember John from the last time he was on. He plays Miguel on one of my favorite shows, This Is Us. Yeah, I have to say, he's a cool guy, and a team player, too, as I know I sure wouldn't want to sit in a makeup chair for hours each day and have somebody make me look 20 or 30 years older, you know, so I could play the really old Spud Goodman. You know, this guy's ex-military, so he's much tougher mentally than me. Stop being weak! Yeah, wasn't he on that show Castle, too? Uh, yeah, you know, he's been on a ton of shows, actually, over the years. And also, wasn't he on that teenage witch show you spoke about him the last time he was on uh, yeah you know i'm not fond of shows about the occult you know that it, it plays right into satan's hands and he doesn't need any help why so serious uh you're referring to sabrina the teenage witch yeah and it was a sitcom dude just just put him through yeah very well here he is Welcome back to the show, actor John Huertas. Uh, thanks a bunch for checking in with us again. Of course, thanks for having me back. 
Yes, so the sixth and final season of your NBC series, This Is Us, is back, airing Tuesday nights at 9, 8 central. So I'm guessing production was a bit emotional, knowing, you know, the curtain was closing for the Pearson family and those around it? Well, not really yet. You know, we're about halfway through the season, and uh, we're not really thinking about the end yet. We're still very much uh, focused on just being present for every episode and, and really... Um, you know, if we were thinking about the end, we'd be in a you know, completely different emotional state, and we might not be able to uh, find put the emotion into the characters and what they're going through uh, in the present episode. So it's, it, right now, it's just we're still having a great time. We laugh a lot. Um, and uh, I imagine that once we get closer to the end, the filming, which is in April, we may be, you know, we may have to hold for a couple of takes. Uh, to wipe a couple of tears or something, knowing that this might be the last one. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be bittersweet. We're really excited to be able to end the show the way we want to end it. Yeah. Uh, it was always intended to end after six seasons. And so, you know, it's very special for us to be able to really take the audience on this season long journey of saying goodbye to the show instead of it being uh, abrupt. Right, right. Well, you know, whenever you do, uh, get, get, you know, do the final episode, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to ask the spoiler thing and ask how the you know, show's storylines wrapped up. But like in real life, I would doubt it's going to finish like a Hallmark movie with everything, you know, ending happily ever after and everything. Because there's a there's a real sense of, uh, I guess I could use the word realism uh, to the show. So and life isn't like that. So anyway, I'm anxious to see how you guys wrap it right. up. I mean, I think you're hitting it right on the head. We're not gonna, we're not a Hallmark uh, movie or television show, so you know, we're we've always gotten by with being very real and grounded in our storytelling and, and what the family's going through, and um, so that's how we're gonna end it. We're gonna end it with the same uh, kind of storytelling. We're gonna end it with the same, you know, it's, it's definitely not gonna be happily ever after, right? Right. Um, but it'll be, it'll be ever after, and. You know, eventually we all figure out, you know, how to be happy in our lives, in, in reality. And that's what, exactly what our characters will do after the end of the show. And that's exactly what I think our audience will do. You'll, you'll figure out how to be happy again. You'll find the next show. Right. Hopefully I'll be on it. Okay. Yeah. It. Yeah. Well... <laughs> You know, we had Chris Sullivan, who, of course, plays Toby uh, on our show, promoting his album. I think it was a while back. But uh, anyway, he, he said it was... A, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of him. But he said it was a pretty tight cast. And I know life in series TV is, you know, very much a vagabond experience as far as when shows and, you know, actors go their separate ways. Do you think a lot of you guys will still hang out? Yes, definitely Toby. Or Toby, Chris. That's how close we are. I only call him by his character. Um... Chris Sullivan and I will hang out. We, we're neighbors. Oh. We hang out actually all the time. Yeah, and then uh, I, I think we'll all hang out. I'm really uh, close with Mandy as well. And, I mean, I'm really close with everyone. I, I, I can't even say I'm closer to anybody. I'm only closer to Chris because he lives closer. Um, uh, that's what I mean by close. But uh, all, I, everybody is very connected. We're all friends. Um, even, even Griffin Dunn is now part of our cast. He lives in upstate New York. I'm looking for property to buy in upstate New York, not because he lives there, yeah. but, uh, you know, I know that if I find something there and I'm, and I'm living up there, he's going to be a big part of my life. So we will all stay connected because we are all that tight, that close. And I've never had this experience with any other cast 
Um, of course, I've walked away from other shows and, and other uh, films that I've done with amazing friendships. We're still friends today, but nothing like this where, you know, we have 16 series regulars, and I'm going to be connected to all of them uh, moving forward. Oh, all right, super. Well, um, I was thinking about this. Both both Chris and Chrissy Metz, who plays uh, Kate Pearson, are singers, of, of course, along with Mandy Moore. But you also sing, right? Too, right? I do. I've, uh, I've put out music, uh, you know, into the ether. Um, find it on the iTunes and Spotify, I'm sure. But uh, for me, I've never looked at it as a profession. I've more looked at it as a very expensive hobby. Uh, Spud? What? Well, I, I so know what John is referring to as having a very expensive hobby. It, I mean, no, I'm not a singer, as as you know. Right, you're not. I I know, but my hobby of animal skull collecting is pretty pricey. In the past, I've shared with you my fascination with the story of Noah's Ark. You know, yeah, so I know, I know. in my late teens, I began collecting uh, the skulls from all major animal species. And right now, I've had to rent a second mini storage unit to house all of my collection. Okay. But I got to tell you, it's worth every penny as it gives me great joy. Uh, John, just just a sec. I have never understood your thing with that Noah's Ark tall tale. But not a tall why, tale. Why would you want to collect the skulls of all the supposed animals who are on that, that what, ship? I mean, do, do you have a beanstalk, too, in one of your mini storage units? Is that tall tale is just as far-fetched. Oh, I will have you know, in Williamsport, Kentucky, there is a life-sized replica of Noah's Ark for the whole family to examine. Okay. The Holcombs have vacationed there twice so far, and it is an amazing place to visit. Okay, yeah. I'll pass and and stick to my own hobbies, all right, that that are based more in the real world, like like collecting jelly beans and watching Netflix. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's how... That's... That's stuff I'm into, okay? It's much more practical. Just let me get back to John. All right, I am back. Well, it must have been, like, a pleasant experience, you know, if the cast ever did karaoke nights together, because, you know, my stuff ever did one, the cops would be called because they're, you know, ears damaged. But, all right, uh, you know, I was going to ask maybe, you this. Maybe we'll have to rent one of those private rooms. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've always, yeah. I don't know if I'm at that, if, if we're at that level in life where we can do our own room. But um, let me, let me, let me hit you with this. I, when you were on previously, I asked if if you'd ever, you know, kept your extensive makeup on, you know, while while playing the older Miguel on on This Is Us, and maybe sometimes driving home with it on to freak out your family. But I was also thinking now, um, how good does it feel when you take it off and you look like tw- I don't know twenty with the whatever years younger? That must put a bounce in your step too. Really great to take it off. Actually, I mean, after wearing it for maybe 12, 13 hours, um, it really it starts to literally weigh on you. You can actually feel the weight of the prosthetics and makeup on your face. Um, the gravity, it's gravity. So um, it really feels good to take it off. Um, what I have done though is when I play '70s Miguel and they uh, blow dry my hair into a nice '70s coif. Yeah, uh, I have gone home with that look. And that has always been interesting because people, you know, will look at me and say, "Why is that guy wearing his hair like that?" That is so 1970s. Um, and that's fun to get reactions out of people. But, um, or you're bringing I, it back. I have not done the elder makeup. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one to bring, I should bring it back. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, maybe you think you're you're on the cutting edge, but all right. Well, uh, let me close with this because I know you got stuff to do. Um, off the record, uh, do now grown-up adults still bug you at the mall and grocery store? You know, from your role as Brad on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, because that was a pretty popular show back then with kids, and they you know they take their celebrities seriously, but more so later as adults, I've noticed. You know, I. It's funny. Uh, every once in a while, and it just happened last week, uh, people, you know, comment about Brad and Serena Tindwich, and uh, we, you know, they'll have photographs of Brad, um, you know, on their phones or something, and I, which I don't uh-huh. understand why they have it on there. But uh, I know so someone showed me, like, this was you, and I'm like, yes, that was. Uh, that was a long time ago. Um but it's it's, uh, it's really cool to to know that I've been able to do this for so long because it was such a, such a childhood dream for me to be an actor, and so I'm really always humbled by anybody that you know says anything about any character that I've played. But um, when it goes when it harkens back to 20 years ago, I really I'm really um, humbled and I'm grateful. To uh, have been able to do this as a, as a job as a, and as a, as a lifestyle, because it's such a it was such a pipe dream as a kid, one that seemed like it was a, would be impossible. And so to still be um, you know doing this is, is just amazing. All right. All right, very cool. I, I, I'm going to let you go. So let me say again, your NBC series, This Is Us, is back for season six, the final one, airing Tuesday nights at 9, 8 central. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us again. Thanks for having me. Mr. Mr. John Huertas. My, how time flies. Uh, Spud, yeah. if, well, if I may comment further on the topic we were discussing earlier, that not telling the truth is a fad or something, I, I just don't believe it. I, I know I never, ever lie. You know, people lie a lot, so you got to be on your toes. I can see how you would, you know, see this differently, as you're prone to not understanding what is the truth and what is just the creation of the liberal media. It's really okay, powerful. really? Well, okay. yeah. I mean, on this show, you continue to deny the reality that Donald Trump did win the last election in a landslide. These guys, they make millions of dollars. They're smart as hell. This is just one example of your distant relationship to the truth. Look, I will admit I have not always been 100% truthful in my life. You know, there, there have been moments... Mostly in my romantic life, you know, where I've I've shaded the truth a bit. Well, you know, like when my ex-wife Jennifer asked me if if I liked the new pair of Crocs she bought, or you know, a recent woman I was dating asked if I wanted to go hiking, you know, and I, and I said, I, and I pulled my groin, uh, yeah, kind of weak, but um, and I couldn't make it. But what would it serve to be truthful in those cases? I despise Crocs, and I just don't enjoy hiking. Okay, you know, I mean, you can. You can't, sometimes, really, you can't get any bars at all on your phone way out in the wilderness. No, and Dorothy, it's not funny. I just don't feel at ease without at least one bar on my phone. No bars. It just tends to trigger an anxiety attack. Stop being weak. Spud, 
all of your ex-wives had an issue with your fidelity to the truth. Well... I know saying you were visiting with me while you were at the casino caused a kerfuffle on many occasions. Did you not think any of them would call me to check if you actually came over? Well, it worked most of the time, uh, you know, until it didn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it didn't work, uh, yeah, later, but... Trevor is saying we have a caller on the line who wants to talk about this topic. Are you going to take it or should I tell him to dump it? Oh, let's take it, Spud. Maybe the caller will add something to this conversation. I doubt it, but anyway, all right, put it through. Caller, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I don't have to say my name on the air, do I? No, uh, not really. I feel like, Please don't. I don't feel I'd be comfortable doing that. Yeah, okay. Uh, not that it... Yeah, not that anybody would be listening to this radio show, but I read somewhere that, you know, saying something unpopular, even on an obscure podcast, can ruin your life. So well, I'd, be, I'd prefer to be referred to as caller, if you don't mind. I don't know about we're not. This is not an obscure podcast, all right? Uh, this is a real freaking radio show. and But we also are on, we do have this thing on the podcast, too, so... Yeah, anyway. Um, you know, I, I don't want to know your name and nor would I allow you to say it on the air anyway. As then we'd start getting a bunch of you know people calling in looking to become famous by repeating their name throughout the call. So yeah, you will be referred to as Caller. So, Caller, do you have anything interesting to add on the topic we're discussing? Well, uh, yeah. I think the whole lying thing, or as I prefer to call it, uh, stretching the truth a tiny bit, yeah. has gotten a bad rap. I mean, the fact that it's okay. so popular these days uh, is, you know, because the cold hard truth can often be quite depressing to hear from others. I mean, I like to think I'm being compassionate by not telling a family member or friend how I really feel during a discussion. Uh, they don't actually want to know what I believe if it's different from where they are at. I mean, telling the truth is highly overrated. I promise you. Yeah, you know what, caller. Lying is not something that should be promoted. I shouldn't have to note that on the Eighth Commandment. It clearly states, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Well, uh, I actually very seldom lie to my neighbors on either side of my house. Well, frankly, I can't stand them. Okay, both of them. All right. Are we trying to compete against each other during the holidays when that rolls around? I mean, they're okay. kind of obnoxious. Yeah, okay. Caller, so what I'm hearing, you are, for the record, you're pro-lining, okay? That's that's what I hear, right? Yeah, I, I don't know about being, like, pro-lying, okay? But I know that there's a place for it in this world where, if, you know, if suddenly everything was total honesty, uh, that would incite, like, some really ugly incidents around the globe. Yeah, that's I mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, so you got That's a valid, that's a good point. Um, I think telling a white lie, let's just call it that instead of, you know, stretching the truth, is, is a lot different than telling the big lie. Like someone saying they won an election when they got their butts kicked by over 8 million votes. <laughs> but those 8 million votes were cast by illegal immigrants and dead people. Joe Biden is very popular with dead people, Spud. No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Gerald, just throw in the towel with that BS about the 2020 election. Not Your guy lost. Yeah. So get over it. Thank you, Aunt Dorothy. Yeah. Even my dad, who kind of likes Trump, has moved on. Mostly because my mom told him he'd have to sleep in the garage if he brought up that big lie again at the dinner table. 
Yeah, yeah. Trump Trump has given the act of not being truthful at all times a bad name. I mean, he just took it too far. I mean, not with his voters because they love him no matter what, but every, really? with everyone else. I mean, you can only lie so often before it starts to get on people's nerves. I and mean, this is what I've learned over the years. You have to know when to mix in some real facts. I personally know the correct recipe for keeping everyone happy. So uh, let me ask, are you married? Uh, no, not now. Uh, I haven't been too successful in that area so far in my life, but I am optimistic about the future. I know someday I will meet the right woman and be happy. Huh. Really? Do, do you really believe that? Or, or are you lying to yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Spud, that was an inappropriate question. <laughs> Caller, not really. Caller, you don't have to answer that. I'm sure someday you will meet Miss Wright. And if you are interested, by the way, my church has a singles mingle night now every other Saturday night. I can send you the details if you'd like. Hey, uh, please do not proselytize on this show. I'm not. And, and, and hey, do you get a kickback on finding single men for that church dating thingy? I mean, you, you're pushing it all the time on the show now. <laughs> oh, I don't believe I mention our church's singles mingle night that often. I mean, what is the harm in getting the word out to the single men out there, you know, that we have more single women than men in our church, and I just want to bring happiness to as many people as possible. Come on, y'all. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Tinder. I've had pretty good luck with that. Thanks, though. Wait, is that a is that a Jewish dating site? No, Gerald, it's not. Um, Caller, can I ask if you are honest with yourself? You sound like someone who's afraid of the truth. And you are really a terrible role model for other men, as I know it's already a struggle for many of them to be honest in a relationship. No, I mean, uh, I don't think so. Oh, brother. I just choose to be somewhat selective in what portion of the truth I share with others. What's your name, scumbag? Dorothy, I'm not afraid of the truth. I know being honest with you is the right thing to do. Honey, I will always trust you. Uh, that's nice, Aunt Dorothy, but I would suggest that even your man-child fiancé chance is not perfect, and you should prepare for many not-so-truthful responses from him on, you know, what he's doing, like, for instance, you know, when, when you're not around. Every guy shades the truth a little, you know, but in that area. That, yeah, yes. So, like, if... If I told my ex-wife Jennifer I watched an episode of something on Netflix during the day, you know, while she was at work, well, you know, the truth was I actually watched like five or six episodes, uh, and, and that would not have made her happy. So you kind of have to make the decision if the 100% total truth is something wise to share. Ooh, yeah. So on that, I do agree with this caller, you know? Uh, if you're st Are you still there, caller? Yeah. Okay, but 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 for the most part, at the end of the day or this call, um, this guy is basically um, he's just a lame ass liar. I mean, because uh, he takes it in a much broader direction than I would ever do. I know that. So, would did somebody dump the call, please? Oh, you, you know what, Spud? You did the right thing with that caller. He he was very dishonest. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, he, he took it a little too far, yeah. okay? But it was a little broad in his definition uh, of lying. But i got to sign off now. Okay. I'm Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be. And I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. 
kind of gives men a bad name. And then you wonder why some people don't like me, folks. <laughs> the Spud Goodman Show was written and directed by Spud Goodman, executive producer Lori Madsen, associate producer TJ Pites, video director Jason W. Young of Random Whispers Studios, production assistants Brian Martin and Chance Morrison, original music by Mike Spots and Tom Harmon, on-air talent Rob McGee, David Deere, Pam McGee, and Tom Nolan. Copyright 2022 Spud Goodman Productions, David Brenneman speaking. <laughs>